How many of you guys are excited? I mean, this is this is monumental. Um, just the fact that this is the answer to so much vision, the answer to so many prayers, uh, so many dreams being fulfilled in this very moment. So I, I'm excited. How many of you guys are excited that Steph's back leading worship? Yep. I'm excited. We got a we got a great band. I mean, for real, Paul on the drums, Emily's back on keys. Now she's back into the worship realm after some time away. I'm I'm even singing, right? Nate's back. He's on the mic. He's playing bass. So we're blessed, really, as a church plant to have that team. So can we give it up for our worship team? And then how many of you guys like that song, Good Good Father? <sighs> I love that song. It's it's sometimes challenging. How many of you guys know it's sometimes challenging to sing those words? You're a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. Because sometimes in, in ourselves, it's hard to see how everything's falling in line. How is this God's perfect will? How is this working everything for good? For me, um, if you know Steph and I's journey, I'm still waiting to be a father. So it's, it's like sometimes I have to look at my circumstance. But then that song helps me refocus on God. And it stirs up your faith. It stirs up your inner man to worship. But then there are other times, like tonight, when you don't really need to be stirred, right? You come in. You're already excited because, again, there's so many prayers being answered in this moment. There's so much that is, is just being fulfilled by the hand of God here tonight. So it's exciting to be here. But I want to echo to you it's what Joshua said to the Israelites before they went into the promised land. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God's going to do some amazing things among you. I would say to us, hey, let's consecrate ourselves because tomorrow, two weeks from now, as we get rolling, God wants to do some amazing things. So tonight, if you guys could pull up my sermon slides, we're going to talk about one of the ways Jesus calls us to consecrate ourselves. And, and we're going to park in John 2. So if you've got your Bible, fancy this as well. We're in pews. If you didn't bring your Bible, there are Bibles beneath your seat. I like that. I like that a lot. So John 2, verses 1 through 12 is where we're going to park it for the night. But I want to read real fast from Philippians 2. You don't have to turn there. But if you're taking notes, it's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, your attitude, my attitude, city life's attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, when I pray for services like the ones who we would go to in Newport News and City Life, when I pray for services like tonight, that's usually my prayer. God, I don't care how they came in. But at the end of the night, let every person that was in this sanctuary worshiping you, let every knee bow and every tongue confess that you're Lord. Not just Lord of the world, not just Lord over the church, but Lord over our lives in every detail. So as you guys pray for this campus, you can echo that prayer as well. But I want to look at this verse in Philippians 2, verse 7, where it says, Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. That he didn't just come as man. But he came as a man with the nature of a servant. Another translation says, in the form of a servant. And if you say, well, maybe that's just Paul, you can quote Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all quoted Jesus as saying, I came not to be served, but to serve. Right? We read in Philippians chapter 2 that he served, he was obedient unto the cross to die for us. And in that death, right, he gave us the grace not just to cover our sins, but to grow more like him daily. 
Grace strengthens us to be transformed. That's one of our greatest callings as Christians, to be transformed, be more like Christ daily. One of our greatest calls in life. So I want to submit to you tonight this fact that you look most like Jesus when you're serving. Because here's a newsflash. You'll never be God in the flesh, right? Probably never going to walk on water. Might not raise somebody from the, I want to, hey, I'm not going to say you won't. But there's a lot of things that God can do that maybe you will never do. But we can put on the same nature that Jesus Christ did when we serve. We look like Jesus when we're serving. But what did Jesus' service look like? Because I've seen a, <laughs> I saw a funny Instagram post just the other day as I was preparing this sermon where it shows Jesus serving up some kids on a court, right? Crossing you up like, AI. that's not the kind of service we're talking about. I saw this when I Googled for that picture. He's not serving you like on the dance floor, right? What kind of service are we talking about? But even the service industry, right? You look at the service industry. That's people with jobs serving others, but that's an obligation, right? You do that to make ends meet. It's a necessary evil. But when you serve Jesus, it might start as an obligation, but it sparks transformation in your life and in the people you're serving. So in John 2, verses 1 through 10, I'm going to read it real quick, but this is Jesus's first impression, right? You're at the beginning of the book of John. And it says in verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Again, this is Jesus' first impression. We're doing these pre-launch services because first impressions are important, right? We're working out the kinks now because on January 30th, we want to put forth an impression that we want to worship God. We want to pursue him. We want to give us our lives and be transformed and do it with excellence. So how many of you guys have ever had a moment where you're thinking, man, this is a first impression and I got to nail this. I can't screw this up. Anybody ever had one of those moments? What's your exit? Wayne? Interview? Yeah, job interview. Any others? Meeting Brentley the first time. Oh, that's good. Going to school for the first time? Yup. Anthony, you had your hand up? Meeting your wife. Yeah. Mine kind of ties into that. Rose, did you have one? Teaching the first day of school? Denise. Boom. That was this month. I don't know if you've ever seen Steph's dad, right? Your significant other's parents might be regular creatures. He is one of the Nephilim. He is large. He's six foot five. When I say he's twice my size, I'm not lying because he's probably twice my mass. And I didn't know much about him. I just know I had seen him at the foyer at the church she went to. 
And I knew I need to nail this, right? <laughs> I need to nail this because I didn't know his background. I didn't know if he had a, a background in semi-professional wrestling. He's built like it, you know? So I'm just like, I got to do this well. And obviously, spoiler, she's sitting in the front row. So that went all right. But Jesus, this was his first impression. But unlike me, I was intimidated. I don't think Jesus was intimidated. I think he was intentional about this miracle, this sign that he did. He wanted to speak to us through what he did. John realizes this. In his gospel, he doesn't use the word miracle for, for Jesus' works as much as he does the word sign. Because the miracle speaks to just the supernatural occurrence, but the word sign in the Greek speaks to the meaning behind it. it speaks to what he's trying to say through what he is doing. And just two things I want to look at real quick. Because John says at the end of his gospel that he had more stories, more accounts of miracles, more accounts of, of just signs and wonders that he could, than he could fit in the book. So why this one? What was Jesus saying through this that was so important? So to just look at two things to set the stage. The first is the where. Happened at a wedding. I mean, guys like a good wedding. Yup. But this was the celebration, like in a Palestinian neighborhood at that time in their village, when they were to think of like the biggest celebration, they would think of a wedding. As, as youth these days would say, those were lit. Weddings were lit. Lost most of you on that. But when Jews reflected on what heaven and the arrival of the Messiah would look like, they reflected on weddings. So the fact that Jesus performed this miracle at a wedding spoke volumes. That, hey, I'm trying to usher in this kingdom that you've been looking forward to, the kingdom that's spoken of throughout the Old Testament, right? The, this idea that we speak of heaven now, heaven forever, right? We've got an eternal life that's coming, but here and now, Jesus still wants to change us, transform us, and grace us with his presence. And then the, the second is the win. Happened on the third day. Now, there's some debate as to what that was referencing, because if you read the book of John, that he's been baptized, was it the third day since his baptism? Was it the third day since he arrived in Galilee? There's some other debates, but how many of you know if you're reading this gospel after John wrote it, you read on the third day, you're immediately going to think about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And you know, when Jesus calls us to remember his death and resurrection, he, he institutes communion, bread and wine, that symbolize his death, his resurrection, and us being ushered into the very presence of God. So this wine is significant. The prophet Amos, for instance, he prophesied that it would be a sign that the Messiah had arrived, that there would be this abundance of wine. And we see again just that wine signifies the very presence of God. And when, when Mary makes the statement, hey, they ran out of wine, that's more than just a statement. We realize, and I'll dig into it later, that that's prophetic. That's prophetic to their society, their mode of religion, where they'd been so used to just things out of habit that God was missing. And Jesus wanted to transform that. And I believe that Jesus wanted to transform their view of service because in doing so, that would transform us. It would transform them. So tonight, I want to look at three things that Jesus' first sign shows us about service in this text, which are transforming. And the first is this, that there's no call that's too common. There's no call too common. If you know my background, you know I, I came to start following Christ as a senior at William & Mary, it was October, so I didn't have much more time in school. I was already an art and English major. I started going to Life Church up in Williamsburg that almost 10 years ago, planted City Life in Newport News. So by the time graduation came around, people started talking about, like, all the seniors, what they were called to. And it was always grand and, like, global in scale. Like, they were going to go to Tibet and build orphanages, or they were called to... to Tanzania to build wells, or they were going to liberate North Korea in the name of Jesus. They had these callings that were grand in scale. They were global. So then I, me as a young believer, I thought, oh, well, callings must be like always a big deal. You know, God wouldn't just call me to, to live in my parents' house for a few months while I tried to find a gig to support this church. Maybe that's not a quote-unquote calling. 
But then we look at this passage and we realize no call is too common. Mary calls to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine, right? This is far from something on a grand scale. And Jesus' reply is essentially, woman, why do you get me involved? And now this woman, listen up, young people, this is the, that's a formal, that's actually a formal greeting. So he's not dissing his mom. What he's doing is because he's the son of God, he can do this, we can't. He was distancing himself from his mother and distinguishing himself as son of God. I answer to God. My time, my calling, why I'm here, it's been spoken to me by God. So here's what you can pay attention to, young people. He obeys his mom anyways, right? <laughs> Jesus' first miracle, though, doesn't come with a spotlight, doesn't come with a microphone, doesn't come with a formal greeting. There's no public speaking of notes, just a couple sentences spoken. You know, Pastor Fred jokes all the time that when he graduated, that he went on to bartend. He wasn't following Jesus yet either. And I was parents were like, really? Not just because that's not the culture they didn't want him in, but also because that was, <laughs> he was overqualified for that. How much more than with Jesus, the son of God, is he overqualified to be sparking an open bar at a wedding, right? But there's no calling too small. And I'm so thankful for every one of you that's here that's along for this ride. Hopefully I won't get emotional talking about it. But I'm so thankful for every one of you because in no way is planning a church a common calling. But in planning a church, there's roles, there's tasks that have to be taken care of that are not glamorous. That again, don't come with a spotlight. They don't come with a microphone. But as you feel that need, whether you're holding a door or holding a kid in the nursery, you're setting the table for God to move in somebody's heart. And it's precious. But again, Mary says they're out of wine. Some weddings... They run out of wine. That's a good thing. My sister, my older sister, Alyssa, she got married, I think, eight years ago, maybe nine years ago now. But she was the first in our family to get married. And my family has some colorful characters. So there was an open bar at this wedding. And, and of course, the, the night was fantastic. It went awesome. And then Chad, my brother-in-law, is carrying Alyssa out of the reception. There's this Disney moment, right, walking out. Everybody's taking pictures. There's footage going. And my, my uncle, who will remain nameless for anonymity's sake, stands up and at the top of his lungs just goes, hey, they're going to go consummate their marriage now, but not in those words. And in that moment, it was decided for me there would be no open bar at my wedding. <laughs> Steph and I, we had a big wedding. I think there were like 350 to 400 people. We catered Maggiano's. I like to brag on it. It was a party, but there was, there was no alcohol at our wedding once I witnessed that. But in the, in, again, in, in Jesus' time, they had wine there, and it went for a week, a week. Like, this was a celebration. That's why people look forward to it, man. I don't even know if they worked. They probably just partied for a week because these people got married. And all of a sudden, you understand as well how running out of wine could have happened because that's a lot of wine if you're talking a week for an entire village of people. But at the same time, it was embarrassing for the host, and it was dishonorable. You know, you wanted enough wine for those people that were coming because you wanted to honor them. In the same way, if you didn't bring a gift for the groom and bride, that was dishonoring. This was a culture of honor. And I want for City Life Suffolk, for us to have a culture of honor, that we wouldn't run out of wine. We wouldn't run out of honor. We wouldn't run out of a welcoming spirit. For 10 years now, one of City Life's biggest calling cards has been that people say it is a welcoming place where people greet you with a smile, where they feel at home. I don't want to lose that here. I want to be defined by a culture of honor because we have a great opportunity in front of us. I believe that God is going to move here in this church, in this city. I couldn't look at the history of city life and think any differently because of how faithful he's been over the years. 
So God's going to do his part. But the question is, will we do ours? Serving with honor, serving with excitement. Because, again, tonight and two weeks from now, it's easy to get excited, right? Two months from now, four months from now, will we still be serving with the same zeal, passion, honor, and excitement? Because everyone that holds a door, everyone that runs slides, brews coffee, watches the nursery, puts out signage, runs sound, holds a mouse to click projection, plays the drums, whatever. Every one of you, as you serve, you're putting on the nature of Jesus. You're being formed to look more like him, and you're enabling us to reach people with Jesus. And again, that's precious. So there is no call too common. The second thing tonight is there is no vessel that is too common. Verses 7 through 8 says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now here's what we know. Here's what anybody who read the gospel of John after he wrote it would have known. That Jesus could have very well, on his own, spoke a word, snapped his finger, a little flick of the wrist, right? He could have filled those jars by himself. And we know from five loaves and two fishes, he could have multiplied the water. He could have done it all on his own, but he doesn't. And again, I don't think he was too intimidated to do that. I think he was being intentional. I think he doesn't use the disciples here because he wanted to show them something. He wanted to teach them something. He asked the servants because God wants to use people who will serve and step into the same nature that he did. He also wanted us to see that servants get a backstage pass to the move of God, whether you realize it's coming or not. These servants didn't know that, oh, there's about to be a miracle. There's no disclaimer that Jesus gives them, and yet he asks them to do it. This was no small task. You do the math on that. That's, a, that's anywhere from 150 or maybe 160, whatever, up to 180. I'm going to do math up here. Up to 180 gallons of water. I did the math earlier this week, and that's around 250 pounds of water. When you look at what just an ounce of water, a gallon of water weighs, that is like a Tony Horton workout, right? Jesus just getting these servants swole, right? They're probably on like their 40th jug, and he's like, you can do anything for 30 seconds, right? That's a Tony Horton quote for those that don't know. But he hadn't told them yet what he was going to do with it. You read scripture, there's no, hey, guys, we're going to fill these up because then I'm going to turn it to wine. But they're simply obedient in the moment. Again, God is going to do his part here. I believe he's going to reach our homes, our schools, our neighborhoods, even the government here, this church. The question is, as we pray for that, you know, God's reply to us is, well, are you willing to carry some water? You know, you look in scripture, the water speaks to the Holy Spirit again and again. Will you carry the spirit of God in you into whatever circumstance whatever place God calls you to, and step in the boldness and the courage that can only come from the Holy Spirit. It's one of the, the ways he equips us. It's just with boldness and courage. You see it throughout the book of Acts. And you know what was courageous in this story? Carrying that cup to the host. Because, again, I read this story, and I'm like, I don't know when it became wine. It could have became wine while they carried it, and they walked in faith. I don't know. It doesn't say. Did Jesus tell them what he was going to do? Did he give them a disclaimer? Was there a, a taste test, right? Because this could have been like wine, like the box of wine you get from like Food Lion, right? You don't know because there's been no taste test. Like is Jesus telling you to take it to the host because he's scared, right? Or is this him telling you to take it to the host because he's going to film it on his, on his camera and, and when the, the guy spits it in your face, like he's going to post it to the internet. It's going to go viral. Took courage. But it was simple obedience where they said, you know what? We're going to fill these jars with water. He ain't even told us why. 
We're going to take these, these cups to the, to the host. And in that simple obedience, you see great faith, extraordinary faith. Servants using clay pots to fill six stone jars was ordinary. That's some everyday stuff. But when it was mixed with faith in Jesus, you see signs and wonders. You know, I was studying for this, and I kept thinking of 2 Kings 4, where this widow comes to Elisha, and, and he tells her to gather up these jars because she was low on oil, and whatever she gathered, God was going to fill. He was going to multiply those jars, fill them with oil. So she brings a ton, right? And I'm thinking as we plant these campuses, right, we're bringing as much as possible to God. Some people might look at our church and be like, three campuses? Don't you want to be at like a thousand people's to do that, right? Have multiple services at each campus before you go and do that? But come on, we had an amazing service last week in Newport News. Were you all out there? Rows on rows added because there were so many people there. And how many of you guys know now that we left, there are seats to be filled? And while we're here, you look around, there are seats to be filled. In Williamsburg, there are seats to be filled. But we would say, hey, those are like the vessels we hold before God and say, hey, fill this. Because, you know, when we get big enough, we might do another service. We might try to find another building, but we will be planning more campuses. Because that is us saying, God, we know that you don't want us to just meet as church, but you want us to grow your church. So we don't just meet here without expectation or faith. But as we bring these vessels and we serve as ourselves, because that's how we show faith. That's how we walk out that faith. That we would say, hey, man, I want to serve. I want to be a part. I want to build the church here. Because I know when it grows, we're going to just build it somewhere else. But so often, that kind of obedience takes boldness. I mean, you think sharing Jesus, what he's done in your life with somebody you maybe met 10 minutes ago or inviting a total stranger to church, you think that's intimidating? Me too. <laughs> Let me be honest. Me too. First instinct is, man, what kind of excuse do I have? Am I going to see him again later? Maybe I'll do it then. But I learned early on in my walk with Christ that I don't fail when God tells me to share the gospel or share uh, an invite card, a reach card. I don't fail when, I, when I'm obedient to that and they say no. I fail when I say no to God and never do it at all, right? I don't fail when they say no. I fail when I say no in the moment and I punk out because it's on Jesus to work the miracle. I'm but a humble, common vessel. It's not on you to be qualified enough. It's not on you to be studied up enough. All that helps. You could be the all-star of the apologetics team, but in the end, it all boils down to Jesus. This is the other side to this no vessel too common coin is that whether your vessel is common or uncommon, no vessel is sufficient without Christ. There's no vessel sufficient without Christ. They could have moved 180 gallons of water, 180,000 gallons of water, a whole Olympic swimming pool full of water. But Jesus was the one that was going to turn into wine. They could have done all the work, but if Jesus wasn't there at that wedding, the miracle would have never happened. So let me give you a, a couple more confessions as a pastor. The first is I probably did... 180 Amazon orders, right, over the past few weeks. Anthony, yeah, he knows, right? The UPS guy probably has my address memorized. Probably had a to-do list of over 180 items that I was rolling through over the past months. But there was a danger in that where I would begin to think of myself as too essential or, or so unordinary. And it's not just dangerous to the church. It was dangerous to me because then you begin to put the whole weight on your shoulders, and that will crush you. I'm just a humble vessel. This is Jesus' pulpit, and he's going to bring the growth. Confession number two is when you're a church planner, you start looking at what are the other six jars other people are using. What do their leaders look like? What are their methods? And that's all good. You can take notes on the ingredients to a healthy church, but you can sometimes put too much value on that because, again, it's Jesus and God that gives you the special grace to reach people. It's his grace that's going to see people saved here. 
in these pews at this altar. It's his grace that's going to spark life transformation in life groups. We're just going to be obedient and we're going to be vessels. One of my favorite quotes kind of came in handy over this season. Martin Luther, I'm probably going to butcher it, he essentially says, I got so much to do today that I'm going to spend the first three hours praying. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I wish I could do that, right? <laughs> but the point is, if Jesus is the bottom line, if he's the game changer, we can't forget to invite him. Again, as we pray for services, as we pray for moments in our life, he's the one that's going to be the game changer. As we pray for conversations, it's him that's going to bring the power to change. Again, there's significance to the six jars in this story because seven is the number of perfection. Six was second place, not good enough. It was lacking. Again, this out-of-wine statement spoke to a religious system where things were done out of such routine that it had become habit, right? It had happened where the old system of religion and law never worked to sanctify and make holy those who worship God. Hebrews 10 and 1 says the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. But it says right after that, that Jesus changes forever, that by one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. See, Jesus came to transform what becomes routine and habit, but doesn't have the power to transform. Those six jars were for ritual purification. You would get yourself clean before entering a home, because the hygiene back then, right, wasn't quite where it is today. They didn't have Purell. So if somebody wanted to walk into this wedding, they would have gone to these jugs expecting to see water so they could wash up and clean up before entering. And you know, there are many people in this region that would come to this church, but they feel like they have to get cleaned up before they come. And Jesus says, hey, just walk into my presence. Again, this wine is a symbol of his presence. He says, hey, you come, I'll change you. So hey, you might think, I don't know if I can invite that guy out on Saturday night. He's kind of rough. Don't even sweat it. We want the rough cases, the hard cases. Some people say that, and they kind of back off six months later. But I can say right now, we're going to honor them, we're going to welcome them, we're going to trust that God can change their heart. These vessels for rituals became vessels that carried a symbol of his presence. He wants to replace ritual with himself in the church and in our lives. As we go through these, these soft launches, as we've gone through these weeks, we got to ask ourselves, am I simply checking off a box where Jesus wants to say, hey, I want to intersect your life and, and, and step into your life as you step into the very nature that I stepped into as a servant, a servant, right? I keep looking at Steph. She held up 557, distracted me. I thought there was five minutes left. We good. Thank you, Steph. That's why we do these test runs. I thought she had a stop, a stopwatch going. It's like, I got five minutes left. I got to roll. This is why we're testing it out. 557. That's better to know. But I know you guys are waiting on food. We're having a potluck, but now that we're in a commercial break, whether you're visiting tonight or you're on the plant team, we're eating afterwards, so there's enough food for everybody. We're, we're doing a test run on the potluck system as well tonight. We'll see how it goes. Anything been spilled in here tonight? No? Good. All right, we're good. But again, to bring it back in, Jesus wants intimacy, not ritual. So we should pause and say, hey, what has become a ritual, a habit in my life? Might even be just reading the Bible in the morning. You just, you don't pause and say, sanctify me by your word. Your word is truth. You know, Jesus prayed that for us. What has become ritual instead of revelatory? What has become routine instead of partaking in the nature of Jesus, a servant? Because again, Jesus came to transform our view of service and in doing so, transform our view of worship and in doing so, transform us.
See, service isn't just rote routine and a checking off of tasks. When you serve, especially in God's church, and you're serving God's purposes, he transforms you. You step into the nature of Jesus Christ. And here's what's so cool about this story. I saved the best part for last. This is my favorite part of the story that keeps me going when I get tired, exhausted. Might think, man, can I keep doing this? You know, it says in this passage, it says that he, the master of ceremonies, did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Right? Only a few people that night experienced the sign that Jesus worked and the miracle. Not everybody there did. It was Jesus' companions and those servants that saw the miracle. See, sometimes these consumers, right, they didn't witness the miracle. That night, those people there, they didn't witness the miracle. They didn't come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus was and what he was here to do through that sign. They didn't have their faith stirred the same way that those people, those servants and Jesus' companions, had their faith stirred. That's why I'm forever passionate about not just spectating, but participating in church. Sometimes the people who only take part in the final product, they don't see the full move of God. Because it's the servants that see the signs. Servants see the signs. Those those servants, they filled up that vase to some ace of base, right? I saw the sign, and it opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. I don't know the rest of the words. But servants, they see the sign. They partake in the nature of Jesus. And maybe you think he's just saying all this to, to bend something around a point he wants to make. But if you don't believe me, start asking some of the people that have moved from Newport News down here to Suffolk. Right? Ask Steph and I how we sold our house in 24 hours. Right? Crazy. Ask Nate and Laura how they scheduled their move in the middle of a tropical storm, and yet during that move, everybody stayed dry, right? Nuts. Ask Emily and Tyler how they've been praying about getting out of the lease early. They were praying that just this past week at the joint prayer service in Newport News, and after that, they get an email that that's a possibility from their landlord. When you step up and you say yes in obedience to God, you will walk headlong into moves of God that you would not have seen otherwise. Ask anybody. You know, we're starting to do our, our pre-service huddle here. Right? That's how we make sure we're on the same page and everything's going to go good. But ask anybody who's been in one of those huddles about the prophetic words that were spoken that were unplanned, the, the, the worship set lists and the sermon that all fall in line because the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is moving. Again, when you're serving, you see the sign. Come on. There's going to be testimonies about people who you held that door open for that came in one way and left an entirely different way with an entirely different countenance, and you'll see that sign. There will be life groups that some of you host where somebody will come in one way. Relationships broken, their relationship with God broken, whatever it might be. And three weeks later, three months later, they're entirely different. And you witness that because you're serving. You're walking in the nature of Jesus. See, service doesn't just cause you to reflect Jesus' life. It opens the door for him to move in your life and in the people you're serving. So, again, what might start as an obligation? Maybe if you're honest tonight, some of the stuff you're doing here with this plant, as precious as it is, it feels like an obligation. But that obligation can spark transformation. Not just in your life, but in the people you're serving. God wants to use us as vessels. There's no call too common. There's no vessel too common. You're all qualified. And I believe, again, that, that we're going to do our part as God does his. I know God's going to do his part. Let's do ours. If I could have Emily and Steph come up, they're going to play a little worship to close, but Jesus' first miracle on this third day, turning water to wine, pointed to his death and his resurrection. And again, Jesus in communion points not just to his death and resurrection, but because of this miracle, that wine would have pointed back to this wedding. 
But I believe Jesus didn't want to just point back to this wedding. He wanted to point forward to the wedding in heaven that we read about in Revelation where Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to ask myself, what did I bring to the table? What did I bring to build this bride? What did I do to honor this marriage, to honor this bride and groom? What did I do when I saw that the wine was running low? When I saw a need, did I step up to do my part or did I, did I think maybe I'm not qualified for this or somebody else will get that? See, again, God's going to do his part. I believe that with all my heart. And I know looking around this room, you guys are going to do yours. But here's the thing. We don't have to. God doesn't need us as much as he wants us. He doesn't need us to fill a role. He wants us to step into relationship with him in a new way as we put on the very nature he did as a human. So when you think about it, we don't just have to serve. We get to serve. We get to walk like Jesus did. We're called to become more like him daily, and we look nothing more like Jesus than when we are serving. Whether it be at a church or some old lady trying to cross the street in downtown Suffolk, whatever. When you serve, you look like Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight and you say, hey, I want to carry some water. I want to carry some jugs. I want to be a part. I want to carry some weight. I want to see God move because I realize that servants, they see the signs. They see the moves of God. People that partake in the final product, they might not see the full move, but I want in. I want all of what God has for this campus and all of what God has for me. If that's you, let's stand. If that's you, let's worship. Come on. We're going to praise God. We're going to go back and come to the altar. We can practice coming to the altar tonight. But come on, let's sing and worship.